0: Hi there, Daniel Browning with you for Into The Music. Music features and documentaries here on RN. This has been a very good year for Australians who appreciate sound art and the music that comes from environmental recordings. With grandmasters like Alvin Curran and Bill Fontana talking and performing their way around the country. If you're one of those people, then we have a treat in store. But if you're someone who hasn't yet acquired that taste for sound art or music that springs from recorded sounds rather than from melody, this program may well change things for you. RN's Nicole Steinke sought out four very different composers who shared some insights into their practice and the philosophical positions underpinning their work, as well as that key element, where their search for rare location sounds has taken them. On Into the Music... This is place and sound.
1: The way I like to put it is, my purpose was probably to create a, a blank space, an open space, that the listener has to fill in in terms of purpose. Francisco Lopez. Which means that beauty, for example, feelings, emotions, fantasy, imagination through music, through the experience of music and sound, it is ultimately the responsibility of the listener or the, the ability of the listener or the possibility for the listener. I think the true creative act in music making is the listening act.
2: had the idea that the sound inside the cables of the bridge was like the voice of the bridge singing. And I guess it's a poetic, philosophical framework so that rather than it just being the vibration in a sort of acoustic sound sense, the bridges were actually calling out to each other so that the cables of bridges around the world would become like
3: this um, messaging system. Jody Rose She's been recording bridges for 20 years. In fact, she recently married a bridge. Not the one singing in her global symphony sampler that we're listening to right now, though.
2: this vaulted arch, which is, you know, meant to lift the spirits up to the heavens, that when you tune into the sound of the bridge, for me it's a very strong feeling that when I go to a new location and I attach the contact microphones and put the headphones on, it's a very private, sort of personal, intimate, internal experience, and it is, for me, somehow like you're tuning into a different layer, or you're tuning into a different level of reality, or I wouldn't say necessarily a different dimension, but there are some very subtle, delicate sounds in these really huge structures, and it can be quite unexpected.
4: I think with the uh, mystery and the hidden, what the most interesting thing to me is to discover those things that are not so apparent at the first sight, because I think we live in such a noisy world and everything is so pushed into our face. And what I think is interesting is to find the fragility or find the hidden layers or, or dive into secret layers or whatever, micro-sounds, and those are found in nature, actually.
3: For instance, inside a volcano, that was Jakob Kierkegaard in an unusually intimate interview recorded nine years ago. It illuminates a central pillar of his work, a deep fascination with nature and its hidden sounds. The composition we're listening to right now is a recent one called Thirst. A 17-channel sound installation for drained swimming pool
4: I'm a minister of my own ministry, called Ministry of Appearing and Disappearing Lands. And this is land, not like lands, like countries, but of course also countries, if they disappear or appear. Very interesting as well. But also uh, surfaces, in general, that appear and disappear. And. For that reason, it was natural for me to go into recording of ice or investigating ice a little bit. And it was winter in Iceland anyway, and I had this contact microphone with a smart little stick. You could just uh, stick into the ice and record the crackling and the sounds of ice. This is like an ongoing project. I would, of course, love to do more Arctic things as well. But I have been doing some investigations of the space inside ice because it's like a volatile matter. For example, I discovered that because of temperature changes, if you have like melting ices, you have a lot of activity and lots of sprinkling, like crackling rhythms and random sounds. And this is something I can only discover in this moment where it's melting. And you can discover something that's only happening right now. This structure is never coming back again, this event.
3: Can you hear it? The spaces between the ice. The subtle crackles, hissing and pops. It may depend on where you're listening and how good your speakers or radio are. But don't worry, most of the music in today's show doesn't demand such acute fidelity. We're tuning into the world of four composers and sound artists who take the building blocks of their compositions from nature. Each does it differently and with different intent.
5: My name is Joseph Bertolosi. I make my living as a, a liturgical organist. I play for a Catholic church, and I play for a synagogue. You know, of course, those are during uh, weekend worship. During the week, I'm on call for weddings and funerals as they crop up all in the area that I'm in. And I direct choirs, and that's basically my livelihood. I've always wanted to be a composer. I only started taking lessons on an instrument so that I could notate the pieces that I wanted to, uh, that I aspired to to create, and have always written for traditional instruments, but about 10 years ago I got a gift of a gong. Uh, the gong you know as it turned out I I was I loved it and you know that begot another gong and another gong and before you know it I I built this percussion project that I call the bronze collection and it's made of about a little bit less than 70 gongs and I took drumming lessons so I you know I was I was 45 years old at that time One day, my wife was standing in front of a poster of the Eiffel Tower, and she was mimicking the way I swing my arms when I play. And she took a stroke at this poster of the Eiffel Tower, and she went bong. And I said, "You know something? That would work. Uh, everything vibrates." And of course, you know, she remembered how uh, the one gong turned into seventy, and now she knew that I was, I had my sights set on the Eiffel Tower. May 28th, 2013. Tower music in Paris begins. We had a great first day on the Eiffel Tower Monday. We met with the administration, got our badges, and started to vet our first day's locations. Paris had good weather, but it changed throughout the day. At times overcast and breezy, then sunny, then cold, and so on. The
3: team worked But it took years for Joe to get to Paris. It was a long way away. He had no contacts, didn't speak French, and unlike the other artists in this program, He wasn't a natural gypsy, constantly wandering the world in search of new sounds. So Joe began closer to home, with a bridge he crossed many times over the Hudson River in New York. We're hearing the results right now.
5: And I I usually carry two baseball bats in my car, so I'm always in a glove and a ball, I'm always ready for a catch. I thought I would just walk out on the bridge and I I went onto the uh, pedestrian sidewalk you know, in a suit with a baseball bat, very inconspicuous, right? So as I'm walking down, I would take a little swing at a spindle or a swing at a panel or a handrail and it, it pretty much gave me the idea of what I was looking for and I saw that there were enough different types of sounds that I might be able to write a melody with it. My approach to this is to write a fixed musical composition, something that you could hear as a musical composition before you say to yourself, what is that instrument, you know? So I wanted to make sure that there were melody notes as well as, of course, the expected rhythmic percussion sounds on the bridge. It was a little bit of a gamble, of course, when I went to the bridge authority. I needed for them to let me go out and record the sounds and harvest all the different surfaces and see what there was and then make music with it and uh, I did and bridge music resulted.
3: Joseph Bertolosi's composition Bridge Music is based on sounds he harvested by whacking the bridge with mallets and anything else he could lay his hands on, recording the results with contact microphones. These are microphones that record sound not from the air, but from the surface they're placed upon. In this case, the metal of the Mid-Hudson River Bridge. (laughs) Nevertheless, Joe still begins with melody unlike Jody Rose or Jakob Kierkegaard, or Francisco López, who all begin with sound.
1: Music is an act of listening. I don't find music in nature or in other sound environments because I find patterns that resemble what most people will normally call music, rhythm or harmonies or melodies. Music is not just uh, those patterns in reality that resemble more traditional forms of music.
3: You must imagine yourself sitting in the dark, listening to this untitled piece, while wearing a blindfold. How did you find that performance? How did you respond
4: to it? Um, I think it's a very immersive experience. I think that the blindfolding was the key. And I think that the performance was so good. It was so sensual, uh, sensorial, that you felt that the sound was surrounding you and that was going through certain patterns. For me, sometimes it was like the sound was going in a spiral some other times I felt like it was like it had a structure like a pinball machine. And uh, I like it very much when it went really loud because even though it was really, really loud, the sound wasn't distorted so you could actually appreciate it.
3: Francisco Lopez has been making this work for three decades. I love his bio as it appears on the web. It says, He's developed an astonishing sonic universe, absolutely personal and iconoclastic based on a profound listening of the world. Destroying boundaries between industrial sounds and wilderness sound environments, shifting with passion from the limits of perception to the most dreadful abyss of sonic power, proposing a blind, profound, and transcendental listening, freed from the imperatives of knowledge and open to sensory and spiritual expansion. This has led to hundreds of concerts, projects with field recordings, workshops, and sound installations in over 60 countries of the five continents. Could you describe your personal subjective space? What are the things that define that?
1: Yeah, I guess if I try to look at the essential, at the most fundamental elements of My personal choices. Uh, The first one will be the choice of fundamentally use only sounds from sound environments as material for my work, which means sound recordings of so called, quote unquote, real environments meaning natural environments, uh, cityscapes, uh, sounds from machines, sounds from things that have not intentionally been generated or created as music, or as musical, or as art, intentionally, either because they're natural processes or because being human-produced sources or sounds, they haven't been created as art or as music.
3: This piece began as the sounds of a whale. lopez works almost entirely from his own recordings but in this case he was approached by the original recordist of whale songs david rothenberg david says he invited some of the finest electronic musicians to rework his material sounds are sampled and resampled with various effects added to change the shape of the sound. Francisco's not interested in making his sounds recognizable.
1: I've been doing for the past few years very, very long recordings, like 24-hour recordings. I have now a set of several small portable recorders with several microphones in each one of them, so sort of surround recordings, and I've been leaving recorders in forests for a day or, or 24 hours. One of the reasons to do this in natural environments, of course, is that when you're not around as a human presence with your equipment, you have more chances of capturing certain things that won't happen if you're there, even if you're very quiet. It's, to me, it's ideal way of recording.
3: We're hearing things that could be industrial, or insects, or possibly the wind. But he doesn't want us to be sure. He doesn't even want us to be thinking about it too much.
1: connection between a recording a sound recording and as a representation of a real environment which is a traditional and the normal and the standard way of understanding a recording a sound recording is one of obvious possibility and it's there but it's not the most interesting one. To so me.
3: you don't intend your recordings to be used to represent reality.
1: Many of them could be used that way, especially when they are presented without transformation, when they become part of a piece without transformation in the studio. And I have no problems with them being used or or listened to that way. But my insistence is that there's many other layers of reality and connection to reality and connection to the world that we might access through sound that are not representational. Anything that is phenomenological in sound, the texture, the qualities of sound, the color of sound, all those things that we need to use visual metaphors to describe, those things that don't have to do necessarily with representation or with the recognition of things, those are the things that I find fascinating. in the same way that for most people a painting is not just about representing reality you might see aspects of reality but most people will agree that an interesting painting is a painting that reveals something else through that way of looking at reality for me the work with sound is something like that it tries to reach that other level regardless of any other representation and uh, i think in that sense that um, sound recording from the creative point of view creation with sound Not with instruments, but with sound. It's uh, probably like a century and a half behind the understanding of what we have in visual work, visual art, with painting or with photography today. It's really well behind.
3: remember the first time you ever actually encountered a bridge and thought, it's singing? Um,
2: well, it was the Anzac Bridge, then called the Glebe Island Bridge, while it was being built. And so it was while I was at art school at Sydney College of the Arts. And so it was going to art school on the bus across the old Piemont Bridge and looking up at this grand structure being built, actually looking at it and thinking that it looked like a harp and wondering what it would sound like and then taking the step of writing to the engineer to ask permission to come and make a recording as part of a a public art class and as part of an imaginary Global Bridge Symphony. So for me, I kind of found the courage to do that because I thought, well, this is the first step. To then making
3: something with bridges singing all around the world. So you went straight from seeing one that reminded you of a harp to thinking I will make a global bridge symphony. <laughs> Pretty
2: much, yes. And <laughs> what do you can dream? <laughs> you can dream small. You can dream big. It takes the same amount of energy. So.
3: <laughs> Jody Rose, and like her dreams, some of her bridges are immense. She's been traveling the world for many years now, composing and performing her works for and with bridges. In Spain, Hungary, Thailand, Singapore, New York, San Francisco, Finland, France. That's where she married a bridge last year. And Australia. She's back in Sydney now, after six years loosely based in Berlin. Does the music occur? Is it something that anybody can hear just wandering across a bridge? Or is the music something that occurs at the moment you apply your contact microphone? There's a couple of John Cage
2: quotes, which I actually found reference to after I'd started the project. But one of them is that there is a spirit in everything which is released by the object being set into vibration. And so the idea that there is this vibration in all sort of matter, in all physical objects, it's, I guess, a kind of animist, slightly pagan idea, which for me links to, like, the spirit of the bridge is heard through the voice. And voice is vibration and breath. And so in terms of the bridge, the, the voice is the kind of maybe the wind and the vibration together. And so you could say that the sound is always there, but to hear it as music takes a certain level of paying attention to it. And I wouldn't say it's reliant on me doing that. I think anyone who decides to stop and listen in that very focused and attentive way, you really do start to hear different kind of rhythmic and melodic elements within the sound.
3: about your project in Finland that was quite recent wasn't it
2: yes that was January February this year I had a two-month residency in a rural area in Finland what time of year in the middle of winter (laughs) it got down to minus 24 degrees Celsius I was amazed to discover you can still go out for a walk and it's perfectly enjoyable (laughs) And the woman who's the director of the residency is part of the family that started the foundation. They live in um, the archipelago, but there have actually been bridges built across the islands over the years. And so it's really changed very dramatically the character of life, because it was very much more isolated, remote, self-contained, and then the bridges built. I've kind of evolved in my practice from being very focused on the sound inside the structure to realising that also part of my interest is the kind of cultural context of the bridge and the stories around it. And they can be a cultural mythology or they can be personal histories. And so I was interested in starting to collect and create a global mythology around bridges. And so this was something I decided to work on when I was doing this residency in Finland at the Sari Manor. to be dances in midsummer that were actually held on the bridges and there are these beautiful small wooden bridges. I mentioned this to Hannah from the residency and her mother actually found me a really gorgeous painting from the 30s showing one of these dances happening and then the community artist associated with the residency was also taking me around and showing me some local bridges and we stopped for lunch in this fantastic old restaurant that was like a set from an Aki Karasmaki film, pink lace curtains little canteen on Tuesday it's pea soup and on Thursday it's you know ham or whatever (laughs) and there was a lithograph of this really gorgeous bridge which looked very similar to the one in the painting and the man who ran the restaurant said oh yeah that's just down the road and so we went and checked that out and I decided oh this is the location that I want to use to make this local event on. It's a wooden bridge with two small kind of arches and it's a pedestrian bridge. It's only about maybe 25 meters long. I was very taken with the idea of the dance on the bridge. The sound is quite beautiful. It's all the squeaking in the snow. Really you can hear the kind of the crunching and the, the feet. I decided to hold a small community event actually with a Finnish tango on the bridge. It's a very different style to the Argentinian tango, but there are some very famous Finnish tango singers like a Lavi <speaking in Spanish> I have a lovely collection of Finnish tango.
3: But this is not the sort of music Jodi Rose was creating from her Finnish bridges.
2: enough, we found that there was a local dance group who called the Mirtuenen Youth Club and they agreed to come out and do the tango on the bridge with me. They were all in their 50s and it was a really um, I think for them it was a lovely experience as well and we invited members of the local community to come along and the village association provided hot juice and these particular cinnamon buns. But I actually when I made the video I replaced the sound of the tango with a composition that I had made from the recordings when I went to visit the different sites of the different
3: bridges. Some modern, some of those ancient wooden bridges, all coming together in a piece called Tansi. Sounds were recorded from the vibrations of the metal itself, not from vibrations in the air, as we usually hear sound. They're internal resonances. The same source Joe Bertelozy works from when he's composing, although he acts upon his massive man-made structures. Joe's recently been in Paris, realizing a dream.
5: Tower Music, Day 3 cataloged, August 9th, 2013. The sum of the three days recording so far is roughly 2,461 samples yielding 780 chosen sounds and there are eight more days of samples to catalog how many of those sounds will actually be used in the music is another story there is plenty of duplication so it's an unknown until the composing begins or ends rather
3: In the musical world that you used to travel in all the time, and still do, what did people think? I mean, did they think you'd gone a bit nutty, wanting to
5: bang on bridges with baseball bats and turn it into music? I think there's some element of that, yeah. Uh, there are some people that, you know, because I play in, in houses of worship, most of the music I play has sort of like a smooth effect to it, whether it's fast, vigorous, or or soft. There's usually this kind of smoothness to it. And here I am playing a percussion project, the bridge or the Eiffel Tower. And now what I'm doing and I think people are more you know what I think people respond to. I think even if they don't care for the music, I think they they respond to the scope of the project and the nerve that it would took to, you know, write to the mayor of Paris and get all this this thing happening.
3: you did very well on the American Billboard chart,
5: didn't you? Yeah, this is true. It was on the classical crossover charts. Well, we did well. We went to number 18. I was proud of that. This is what we did. We were going to hit a surface. We'll say a spindle. So, I would hit it maybe between four and twelve times hard with a wooden stick, wooden mallet. Then I'd hit it between four and twelve times with a medium stroke, then four to twelve times with a soft stroke with a wooden mallet. Okay? Then I would change mallets. I'd use a latex mallet and do the hard, medium, you know, twelve of each of those, so 36 and 36, and then I'd switch to a poly ball. So, sometimes in this categorizing stage that I'm in now, I might be listening to the same sound, you know, a hundred different samples that are minutely different from one another, just trying to pick two of the best of each. Tower Music Day 4 catalogued, August 19th, 2013. I'm progressing a little slower now than before because, with the constant impact of the metal sounds against my eardrums, I have to take breaks for several consecutive days. This happened when I did bridge music too, but I was in my 40s back then, and I'm in my 50s now. It's taking a little more time for me to bounce back.
3: When you were standing up there in the wind on the Eiffel Tower with your sound engineers and you were whacking away with your mallets, did you feel like you were making music?
5: It becomes music later on because what we're doing right now is assembling the notes. You know, we're going to build a virtual instrument at the end of this. We'll know where we can place musicians. I got to say that both bridge music and tower music are intended to be live events. The music is written out in standard music notation. And it's written so that a live musician can play whatever surface he's standing in front of. The music comes much later on. Although I gotta say, uh, sometimes we heard sounds which were just so inexpressively beautiful. Uh, These just ringing tones, or these bell like sounds, or these low rumbles. And, you know, we'd all look at each other and say, wow, that was great.
3: It's that act of paying attention to a sound. These particular ringing tones come from a piece by composer and sound artist Jakob Kierkegaard. It's called Labyrinthitis. It's performed here using classical instruments by the Danish ensemble Sinatet. But labyrinthitis began as a location recording. The location in question was inside Jacob's ear canal. Listen to this. It's part of the original recording. And imagine that you are part of the air vibrating inside Jacob's ear. The intention of the transformation of the location recording into this instrumental score is to explore the musical dimension and potential of the sounds he used in the original work. That original Labyrinthitis was released by Touch Records in 2008 and this instrumental interpretation in 2013. Jakob Kierkegaard has paid attention in some extraordinary places, recording Ethiopian tribal songs, abandoned rooms at Chernobyl, the Aurora Borealis. This is from an interview he recorded nine years ago, where he explores many of the preoccupations that grip him today.
4: Usually during auroral display, you would have a chorus. It sounds like birds, actually. And uh, after lots of northern light display, sometimes you would hear whistlers, like descending tones. And also during um, dawn, so it's like just diving into it, and um, it's interesting. The most interesting thing to me is to discover those things that are not so apparent at the first sight, because I think we live in such a noisy world, and everything is so pushed into our face. and. What I think is interesting is to find the fragility or find the hidden layers or, or dive into secret layers or whatever, micro sounds, and those are found in nature, actually. It started out as I got interested in uh, Chernobyl, what happened in uh, ukraine that you have a totally deserted place where people just left because they got to know that they would die if they stayed but if you go there you can't see anything you you can't see it you can only see it in the absence of life of people and the nature that has taken over I went to a nuclear power plant to uh, do recordings of this whole center of force where they create power, energy but that was not really because I was looking for this uh, fragile (laughs) layer more the invisible layer The tubes are quite long and the whole thing is connected with those and it also connected to the sea because they bring in the water from the sea to cool down the hot thing so they won't explode. So they have those huge tubes where the water is coming in from the sea and for example those I was recording and they sing. There are so many overtones in it. I think it's because the tubes are so long, so massive travels a long way and so the resonance gets stronger. The invisibility, that could also maybe be traced in a power plant that would still live or still produce energy. You're creating something that is potentially dangerous and also giving life. And this is this is interesting for me as well, the, I would say, divine aspect in this. I don't know if it's just how I see it, but I think when you go in and you divide atoms, you create fire, so to say, you create a massive heat, and that's what nuclear power is about when i was reading dante's divine comedy i was thinking okay he's like wandering going through hell and purgatory and coming to paradise and maybe for me there is some links there between this fire that they're creating which is invisible somehow and giving us life giving us belief in something and also uh, something we can die of and then i was interested in how how does it sound how does this thing sound which has so many aspects in them and i i think they sing yeah
1: i think when the act of will the decision the passion the intention is there you can create music but you need this You need the human decision, you need the skill, you need the will applied to sounds to create music. I don't think sounds by themselves are music. That is fundamental. One of my transformative experiences, I would say, as a composer and as a sound artist has been the rainforest. I've worked for many years in different rainforests all over the world, and i spent a number of years working in Costa Rica, and the rainforest there is very rich. And uh, I did a lot of work at night. Uh, I was doing also work in biology and I was doing some research and I had to spend a lot of time at night in the rainforest. Sonically, I think of the rainforest as a naturally acoustic environment. Acousmatic is a term that was created originally by Pythagoras, by the Greek philosopher, as a way to explain ideas to his disciples without showing his presence. And he used a curtain to cover himself, visually, from the students while they were discussing philosophical concepts. The idea behind this is that to put attention to, in that case, ideas, discussion, thinking, without having the visual distraction of his presence. And uh, so, acousmatic became a term that describes certain ways of listening to music, or even certain types of music where you don't see the sources of sounds. Now, to me, the rainforest is a naturally acoustic environment in the sense that you hear a million different things all the time, day and night. And it's almost impossible to see the sources of sounds, of all those different sounds that you hear in frogs, insects, birds, and of animals constantly. And it becomes substantially and fundamentally sonic experience, and that definitely transformed my understanding of sound as space, sound as, as texture, sound as complexity, and many other things, I guess, in terms com- of composition, just by listening to the natural environment of the rainforest. I will strongly recommend to anybody that uh, if you have the chance to visit a rainforest, if there's a chance for that, I will strongly recommend a night in the rainforest on your own. That's a a dramatically transformative experience.
3: And having experienced that and the intensity of that reality, what do you then do with it? Because it sounds like you would not reproduce that reality.
1: I don't think I could. I don't think anybody could, actually. I mean, this is an illusion, of course, the illusion of uh, simulation, and the illusion that simulation is what we want. Jean Baudrillard is a French philosopher, and I think he explained this better than anybody else. He basically says that we have replaced reality by the simulation itself, and what we want is actually just the simulation.
3: After talking with Francisco, I was browsing the web, searching for rainforest sounds. And among the top offerings was this one from Ken Davis called Endless Emotion. More than four million people had clicked on it. There were many others, some with and some without instrumentation, many promoted as sending you peacefully to sleep. There are sounds of the rainforest varied in many of Francisco Lopez's compositions they're unlikely to send you to sleep.
1: To me, the interest of doing these recordings is not to try to do something like that, but to create a different world. And that different world happens, whether we like it or not, whether we are aware of it or not, Before any transformation of sounds, the moment we record sound, or the moment we take a photograph, in other words, I think what the machines that we have for perception, a photo camera, a recorder of sound, what they can do best is not to represent reality. What they can do best is to show us what we could see if we could see reality without thinking, which is what they do, and we can't do.
3: This is Jakob Kierkegaard's recently released composition, Church. It's an interpretation of an earlier work created entirely from ambient recordings of an abandoned church inside the radioactive zone in Chernobyl. He used an elaborate method to make those original recordings. I'm taking this from Jakob's own description. He made a recording of ten minutes and then played the recording back into the room, recording it again and again. This process was repeated up to ten times. As the layers got denser, the room slowly unfolded its own unique drone of various resonant frequencies. Jakob Kierkegaard's method is inspired by Alvin Lucier's 1970 work, I am sitting in a room, where he recorded his voice in a space and repeatedly played this recording back into the same space. In Kierkegaard's work, however, no human voice is being projected into this abandoned room. During the Chernobyl recordings, he left the space to wait for whatever might evolve from the seeming silence.
4: This is something that has come afterwards At first i was just interested in sound i'm not so much a conceptual artist i'm really just interested in finding sounds that has not really been discovered or just diving into sound and when i started with this i just went out in the city with a normal microphone but when i then discovered you can also find another approach to it with like for example different microphone techniques or finding a good space and then suddenly lots of thoughts came into my mind like wow this maybe deals with this and that and they make rhythms and beats and pulses it's wonderful to listen to
3: what did it feel like to be up there banging around on the eiffel tower
5: oh oh i can't tell you it was it was exhilarating it was exhilarating it was 9 years since my wife took a swing at that poster Nine years of (laughs) going through, developing and executing bridge music, you know, and then continuing on and trying to get the French government to allow me to go up there. I mean, I, I could give you a whole dissertation on the politics of public art, international public art. Uh, That's a whole separate thing from the music end. The music is like the easiest part of this. It's what I do. It's what I love to do. But, you know, it's like a a kid who becomes a farmer. He he becomes a farmer because maybe he likes animals. But in order to have the animals, he's got to learn how to be an agriculturist. He's got to learn how to grow plants. He's got to learn how to fix a tractor. He's got to learn all these different things just because he wants to work with the animals, which is the part he likes. And for me, writing the music and hearing the sounds, it's the part I like. It's the part I do. It's the part I love. But in order to make this happen, you've got to write letters. You have to you know, talk to this bureau and that bureau and make sure they work together. And what's the timing on all this So to actually be standing on the Eiffel Tower, I had to keep slapping myself to say, my gosh, you're really here.
2: Okay, so here I am walking onto the Brooklyn Bridge. This is some ambient sound on the Erasmus Bridge in Rotterdam. So you're staying with bridges after 20 years? (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of hard to put something like this down. Another side. Yeah. Go to uh Mito, Mito. No, I'm not getting anything. <laughs> it's only the um, trucks. Uh, this is Torku, the Aura Bridge. And number one wish list is the Bosphorus Bridge in Istanbul. The cables are beautiful blue and they're on the inside of the walking fence. Which is quite fantastic for me. Friday the 18th of October, and I'm here on the Golden Gate Bridge. Which is pretty f***ing awesome, I have to say.
0: The Australian sound artist and composer, Jodie Rose, rediscovering her inner punk there. You've been listening to Place and Sound. Our Into the Music feature here on RN, the producer was Nicole Steinke, and the sound engineer was Russell Stapleton. And the other sound artists we heard from were Francisco Lopez, Joseph Bertoluzzi, and Jacob Kierkegaard. And you can find links to the websites of these different artists on Into the Music's homepage. The details of Jacob Kierkegaard's journey into his inner ear alone are worth a visit, as is the striking image of him holding a giant artificial ear. Just go to abc.net.au slash national and scroll down through the program list until you find Into the Music. And do share your thoughts on this and other features by leaving a comment in the feedback section. Tell us what you think. Thanks to sound librarian Peter Timmerman and to Jody Rose for the interview with Jacob Kierkegaard. Next week, Into the Music presents an entertaining musical essay with the English music writer and experimental musician David Toop. It makes room for Grandmaster Flash, the Japanese composer Toru Takamitsu, the sounds of falling leaves and even the silent music embedded in paintings or the imagined musical memories of Picasso's lover.
1: Join me, Daniel Browning, next week. Here on into the music.